halfway point after this, um, which will make this probably the longest sermon series I've done. Um, we are uh, going to pray first, actually, though, before we go any further. Uh, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this morning and help us to look to you in, in our uh, time of meditation on your word. And I pray that you would uh, help me to speak uh, words that reflect your will in your heart. And I, I pray that you would uh, give me your grace um, and be with the folks in this place and help them to, to hear you and encounter you in this time. In Christ's name, amen. Um, all right, so if you have a Bible and you're following along at home, we are on Philippians 2, 12 to 30 is where we're going to be at. We are... Um, the, the theme of the series that we're doing here is the joy-filled life. Um, the book of Philippians, hi Henry, he escaped from the nursery. <laughs> the, the theme of this particular series, we're looking at joy. Um, the, the book of Philippians was written by Paul while he's sitting in prison. Um, and he, he doesn't make it out of prison alive um, in the end. And, but but as, he's, as he's experienced all of these difficulties and everything else, um, over and over again in this letter, he talks about joy. And so as we're looking at Philippians, we're, we're kind of bringing to the forefront this, this idea of joy because, I, I mean, I don't know, I, most of us don't sit in prison all that often, right? Most of us don't get tortured occasionally. Most of us don't go without food. Most of us don't. We don't experience those things. We have kind of whatever we want and whatever comfort we want, and yet a lot of times we're just not happy, and much less having joy. Um, and so... As we look at this, we're going we're gonna to be discussing, I and mean, we've been discussing how we find joy in, in what God has designed for us in, in the, the, you know, our relationship with Christ. Um, but Paul has kind of covered some stuff, and now he diverts, and he, he talks about some practical implications. Um, and, and as we go into this, I, I'm going to hit pause, and I'm going to talk for a second about my, about my picture up here. I, any of y'all play Monopoly ever? One of the greatest board games ever? Um, the, the worst part of Monopoly, I think, is that, is that get, a, get out of jail free card. You draw it, and you think, well, why do I even have this? Because, you know, getting out of jail is $50. It's not even expensive. But you have it then, and you sort of tuck it under the board. And I, it says sell it. I mean, I don't know why you would ever even sell it in the game. It doesn't make sense. Um, but it, it's nice to have if you have it, right? Because you don't have to wait your turn. You don't have to do anything. You draw the jail card, or you land on jail, and throw the card, and you're out, Right? And, and a lot of times folks treat salvation this way. They treat, um, they treat Jesus this way, honestly. They, they begin dealing with God. They cover some basics, and it becomes this get-out-of-jail-free card they can play. And, and every once in a while, I may need to wait a turn on Sunday morning. You know, every once in a while, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. But, but as long as I've got that card in my wallet, it doesn't matter after that. Um, and and um, Paul kind of touches on this idea in this particular section of the book, and we're going to be looking at that. Um, some context, Paul is in prison writing this. He planted the church in Philippi um, that he's writing to many years before. Um, and in this letter, he actually demonstrates affection for them that you don't really see anywhere else in the Bible, like, like, or anywhere else in Paul's letters. He's like very close to these people. He really cares about them, and he writes to them in a very different tone than anyone else. Um, and finally, actually, he doesn't correct them. Like, this is the only letter in the Pauline corpus where he doesn't say, all right, here's where you're screwing up. Like, and, and that's kind of nice because we get a little bit of a different perspective at this point. I know the text there is really small. I'm sorry if you don't see well. Um, in the previous section, right, and this is Paul's thing, he does this, but in the previous section, 
um, which was last week's message, we talked about first where Paul said, hey, be humble, right? Um, consider others more important than yourselves. Deal with other people like they're, they're, you know, like they're more important than you. Don't put your own needs above the needs of everyone else. Um, that's where he starts. And he says, look, you need to do this because Jesus did this when he went to the cross to die for our sins, right? So Jesus did this. And then, um, after Jesus humbled himself and took the lowest position possible, um, God elevated him, right? Brought him up to the, you know, to a place of, of praise and worship. And it says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. At the end of time, everybody who ever lived ever will will come before God and will bow their knees, whether they liked Him or not. They're going to bow before Him. It's coming, right? So the reason I'm doing this review. Um, we're going to jump into Philippians 2.12. Um, so then, now whenever Paul starts a section with therefore or so then or because of this, we know that we have to pay attention to the preceding section. Everybody with me? This is one of the most misinterpreted texts in the Bible. So this is important. Um, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, Paul, Paul made this sentence harder than it needed to be, first off. Um, he starts off, so then, um, because every knee will bow before Jesus one day, right? Because one day God is going to elevate Jesus to the point of like praise that everybody's going to have to pay attention to and take notice of, because this is going to happen, um, and then he stops, um, now obey this just like when I was here, even more so when I'm not here. It's sort of like an aside, but it's not the main point, so we're going to leave that out at the moment. All right, so, so then, my beloved, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? Because that's the main clause of the sentence. The, the little diversion there we'll come back to in a second. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And a lot of times folks look at this and they assume that it reads exactly the way it reads, right? But Greek is a very different language. It's a lot more precise than English in some things. And in this case, it's, it's so much more precise that this sentence doesn't sound the way it should. Uh, when he says, work out your salvation, he's not talking about figuring it out, right? Um, every once in a while, folks will say to me, uh, well, you need to work that out for yourselves. That's like the most frustrating thing ever. You ask somebody for help and they say, nope, figure it out yourself, right? It's not what he's talking about. Work out your salvation it has nothing to do with figuring it out yourself. It has nothing to do with struggling with whether or not I'm going to heaven or have I done enough stuff or did I dr drop enough money in the plate? Did I show up on enough Sunday mornings? Did I accidentally swear near the church and so now I'm in trouble? Or like, you know, I'm going to get there and they're going to pile up everything on two different little scales, you know, the scales of justice. And if it tips a little too far to the left, they're going to hit the button and the trap door is going to open. I'm going to fall into hell and that'll be it. It's not like that. Okay? Like, this is not what Paul means. Because Paul is very clear over and over again, we're saved by faith, right? Through, or by grace through faith. Meaning, I have faith in Jesus. I trust him that he saved me. And so, I'm saved, Right? It's not like, oh, I didn't show up that one extra time or I, you know, swore one too many times and now I'm hosed and none of that stuff, right? Like, that's not how it works because Paul is very clear over and over again. You are saved if you have faith that Jesus died for your sins and he is Lord, right? That's it. Um, so what does he mean? Well, work out your salvation refers to the idea of 
what does it mean, right? If I'm saved, what does it mean for the rest of my life, right? Do I get to keep being the person I was? Do I pick up my get-out-of-jail-free card and say, holy moly, that's great. Let me stick that in my wallet, stick it in the back pocket, and I'm going to bust that thing out later. And there are folks who live this way, okay? And I've lived this way. I'm going to acknowledge it, okay? As a Christian, there was a time in my Christian life many years ago where I did this, where it was like, well, I'm forgiven, so it's okay if I blank. (laughs) I'll be forgiven. I know I'm failing in this part of my spiritual life all the time, but it's okay because I'm forgiven. I got that card. Just remember I got that card. (laughs) Um, But if I'm a new man if I'm a new creation, if I'm dead to sin and I keep living the way I was, I'm not really like doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What Paul is talking about is, hey, if you're made brand new, stop doing what you're doing and live different, right? Um, I, uh, have any of y'all ever had a car that was in really rough shape and you had to change out the engine? Really just me? Am I the only one? <laughs> I, had a, I had a Saturn that I had for so long that no matter how many times I, I repaired it, it still ran like junk, right? <laughs> and, and there was always standing water in the floorboards because the roof leaked so bad, and um, it would break down several times a month, and the tow truck drivers all knew my name, and it didn't, no matter how many, it didn't matter how many times I fixed it, it always ran like garbage, right? I got so good at replacing engines, I'd go and buy a $500 engine at the junkyard, and I could put an engine in um, in eight hours, like flat. I mean, I, I felt good about that. And one day it just caught fire because it was in such bad shape um, that, that, you know, and, and there are some folks that live out their Christian life this way, though. They say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and it doesn't matter that they've broken down on the side of the road and sin has overtaken them today because they're going to get it just working enough and they're going to limp along and keep doing the same nonsense they were doing, right? And so when Paul says, listen, work out your salvation, he's saying, figure out what this means and actually do it, right? Um, Figure out what it means to be a new creation in Christ. Like if God loves you enough, if God loves you enough, if God loves John enough, or if he loves you know, Ross enough that he's going to take the most precious thing in all the universe, the, his son through whom all things in the universe were made, and he's going to send him down into the dirt with us to be one of us, and he's going to let him be horribly tortured to death and, and let him be dead for three days, right? Like if he's going to do all of this stuff for you, what does it mean? If it means I stick a card in my wallet, maybe I'm not doing this with fear and trembling. What does fear and trembling mean? One day I'm going to stand in front of God. You're going to stand in front of God. Your neighbors, your kids, your grandkids, we're all going to stand in front of God. And according to Paul, when you get there, you're going to bow your knee. Ain't no choice. It's going to happen. One of my, there are a couple of guys I, I follow, I read because they kind of tick me off. You guys do that at all? You know, where you you read them just because it kind of gets you oh, and and one of those guys is um is a guy named Richard Dawkins, right? Richard Dawkins is an English bio. He's he's a very clever guy with a science degree and everything else, and um, probably a lot smarter than I am. But he has made a lot of money and made a name for himself not with his science but with attacking believers and writing about God, 
and writing really terrible books about God that aren't very clever and make him look a lot dumber than he actually is. Um, that's my bias. Anyway, <laughs> in the love of Jesus. Um, but he writes these books, and one of the things, I mean, he's, he's very disrespectful to God. One of the things he says is, you know what? If I die and I find out God exists, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to wave my finger at him and tell him about why he's evil and why he messed us all over. According to Paul, that ain't what Richard Dawkins is going to do, right? Along with the rest of us, we're all going to bend the knee. Um, there's no option because you're going to come to this place where, where Christ the Son of God has been raised up and glorified so much that you won't be able to contain yourself. I, uh, once Jess and I were in Costa Rica, and we were, we were hiking in the rainforest, and we got to this place where there was this mountain. I mean, you look up, and it's called a cloud forest, right, because the clouds are over the rainforest, and you can't see it from, where you're, you know, from the bottom because the clouds are just over it. And when you go up there, you can't see off the edge of the mountain because it's all clouds. Um, and I, I stood there, and there's a waterfall falling down out of the clouds into this pool. And I went down into this pool, and I, I swam for a little bit, and I stood underneath this waterfall, which is falling. I mean, it's off the side of a mountain out of the clouds. I mean, it was a long way. And I actually wanted to go up underneath the water entirely, but I couldn't build up the nerve to do it because I was thinking, man, that water's coming down hard and fast, right? But it took my breath away. Like, I, I had to stop for a moment in awe at how amazing this was. Anybody ever had an experience like that? First time you hold your child and you're like, wow, that is something. The first time you, you know, are, are getting up and seeing the Montana sunrise, um, you know, those moments of peace when you're out there and you look and you see God's creation and all of its splendor and, and there's a deer there and nobody's shooting at it. And, you, and it just sort of, wow, that's amazing. Um, and it just makes you pause. The moment we encounter Christ in eternity, the day that we're standing in front of him, it's going to be that times 10 million. It'll be so much so that you'll drop to your knees, period. You won't pick. Um, and so what Paul is saying is, here is, look, you need to figure out how to live out your faith, and you need to do it with the kind of fear and trembling that comes along with the realization that this is what I'm bringing to the table. So when my knees bend and I drop, and Jesus comes walking along and he says, all right, what would you do with what I gave you? <laughs> well, I knew you died for me, and so I enjoyed as much pornography as I could. <laughs> Whoops. Maybe not. Or I knew that you died for me, and so I used all my money to have good stuff. I had the best TV. I, I had the best this. I had the best that. Or... I, I tried to, every time I got depressed or upset, instead of coming to you, I got drunk. Realize that we're going to answer. That's what Paul's talking about here, right? Paul is saying, Paul is saying, when you figure out how you live out your faith, remember, you're going you're gonna to bring it before him. This is what you're going to have. And this is what you're going to put up. And this is it, right? Now, mind you, this is not a earn your way into heaven because you're saved if you're saved, right? Like faith in Christ, this is what saves you. It's not works. It's faith, right? But what are you going to do with what he's given you? What does it mean to you? And understand what it means to you is what you're bringing to the table. Now, even your best works, Isaiah tells us, even our best works are like filthy rags before God's robes of righteousness. The word there, filthy rags, isn't, it's translated gently. Um, it's translated gently because it refers to like 
menstrual pads. That would be the gentle way of saying that, okay? Like, this is how gross our best work is compared to Jesus, right? Like, you're not bringing anything good to the table. But Jesus knows our hearts. And what Paul is saying is, listen, when you decide how you're going to live out your faith, when you decide what it means and how you're going to live your life, recognize that you're going to bow your knees before him. Like, you're going to come there and, you know, as you work it out, do it with fear and trembling because you know fear and trembling needs to happen, right? If, I'm trying to think of somebody really important that would excite me, I'd say, like, you know, if, if the Queen of England was going to come to my house, I'd probably vacuum. Or I'd try and get Jess to do it, I don't know. <laughs> I would probably do the dishes, right? I would probably, I don't know, put the dog out in the yard, because I don't want her jumping on the, you know, you don't want the dog jumping on the Queen of England, that's not okay. Um, this is the Queen of England. You know, this is a person. But we, how many of y'all would clean your house? Maybe get the special plates out of the living room, right? <laughs> and knowing, actually, that your special plates, compared to what the Queen of England has as, like, throwaway plates, not real good, right? <laughs> Different level. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about God, it's easy to think, oh, he's over there and he's not paying attention, but he is, and he's coming home, or he's coming back eventually. Um, so this is the basic of the statement, right? Um, I'm going to backtrack a little. You have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, meaning you guys have done this well, and you've done it well while I was there, and even more so now that I'm not there. Everybody with me? See why that made that so much more complicated? <laughs> um, because of the way Greek is sentence structures, it, it ends up this way. Uh, anyway, um, so we're going to keep going. Fear and trembling, what's it? This is not a reference to figuring out that we're saved. Wow, I did this again. I don't know why I even make extra slides. Um, the big comparison, actually, why I added this slide, um, Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher, and he, he wrote a book called Fear and Trembling Unto Salvation. And when he does, most of the book is about Abraham and Isaac. God says to Abraham, Abraham, take your son and, you know, your only son, the one you've been waiting 10 years for me to give you, take him onto the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And he wrote this book saying, well, what was that like for Abraham? What's it like to be a created being before the creator having to make this decision? And actually, there are volumes written on how mean God is because he made Abraham do this, right? Um, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, in their commentary in the Mishnah, they are the... Talmud, they suggest that probably Sarah doesn't appear in the story anymore because she heard about it and died because <laughs> it was that bad. But when we stand before God, we're taking what we have, right, our lives, our stuff, our heart, our actions, our everything, our comfort oftentimes, our, our, our you know, our, the best that we have, and God is asking us to give, us, give it back to him. Now, mind you, God let Abraham keep Isaac, Right? But it must have been a great deal of fear and a great deal of trembling that he brought to the table when he did this. Now, mind you, by the way, as nasty as everybody is toward God for having him do that, he did that for us, right? And he did it with Abraham so to point forward to Jesus because God sends his son and sacrifices him for, our, for us. Um, and keep going with this because we're not making a lot of ground and we're going to run out of time. <laughs> for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Another tough part of this sentence, this is the second half of the first sentence, mind you. 
Um, it is God who is at work in you. Be aware. When you feel the need to change, that's him. Right? When you feel like, wow, maybe I should get up and go to church and, and try and figure out how to deal with God, that's him. When you are doing something rotten and you start feeling shame and guilt, that's him. When you recognize wonderful things in the world around you and you say, wow, the world is awesome, the cattle went where they were supposed to easily, that's him. Um, and so God is doing this work in you, um, both to his will and to work for his good ple- pleasure. So the, what he's doing there is he's getting you to follow his will and he's doing it to please himself. Why? Because you and I exist to bring glory to God. Right? We don't exist because, I mean, God loves us and all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, our purpose is to bring glory to God. And we bring glory to God, to Jesus, who's being glorified when we show up and we say, this is the change you made in me. My knees are bowed, and this is the change. Here it is. This is what I have for you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I'm going to pause right there. Anybody fail at this like every day? Already this morning? <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't even get amens on that. I should have. I, I was cursing the snow this morning. <laughs> I had a big pile of pictures, and I dropped them in the snow as I was getting out of the car. And, and I spoke in a strange language I didn't know. Um, tongues, I think. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Um, why is this? Well, Paul starts doing something really clever that you, you're not going to get in the English. Um, he is quoting from the Old Testament here. Um, do all things without grumbling and disputing is an odd phrasing that appears in the Exodus when God has delivered his people out of slavery like he's delivered us out of slavery. And what's the first thing they do? Jeez, God, the food here is awful. <laughs> what, you were in slavery. I brought you out. Yeah, but couldn't you feed us better? Wait a minute, the water's not good enough. Wait a minute, wasn't it better when we were slaves? Right? And he's comparing, saying, listen, if you're going to be different, if you're going to work out your salvation, begin by not doing what they did. Don't complain about God's provision and his grace. Right? And don't complain about each other. Anybody complained about somebody in this room recently? Don't raise your hand. Um, Anybody complained about their kids, about their spouse, about the things that God has put in your life? the great things. I mean, it's easy to do that without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights to the world. Um, I'm not going to touch on every Old Testament reference he works into this. I'm going to just do a few. Um, Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Um, Anybody see that in the world around you? You see that in the church sometimes, heck, right? Like, this is the way the world is. This is a line from Deuteronomy. And in this line, Moses is standing up and he's talking about the Israelites. (laughs) He's lecturing and saying, you people are crooked and you are perverse and you are awful, right? And, I mean, he's at the end of 40 years of wandering around in the desert because these guys couldn't keep their, their business straight, right? And so he's probably a little bitter, but he's more bitter of the fact that they're rebelling against God over and over again. And so Paul is intentionally saying, don't be like the Israelites. Be different from this perverse and corrupt generation like the Israelites were. Be set apart. Um, The big difference, by the way, mind you, the big difference is the Israelites were obeying the law to be close to God. 
we have Christ that draws us close to God, and it frees us um, to be different. Let me keep going here. Um, children of God above reproach, crooked generation, uh, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Um, I use the New American Standard, which is very literal word for word, um, and it loses something every once in a while. Lights in the world. Um, the NIV puts it, lights shining in the universe, or stars in the universe, or lights in the dark. Um, the, phrase, the word light there in Greek actually refers to like heavenly bodies that throw off light, right? Um, and so like you lose the analogy there. What he's talking about is he's saying, listen, we should be like um, when folks look up. I, Montana is wonderful for this. How many of y'all have stood out in the dark? I know, where is he? Dwayne um, stargazes. You stand out in the dark and you get all the lights off just outside of town or outside of my house where the streetlights don't work. And you, <laughs> and you look up, and it's black, right? But what do you see? The stars, and they just, they're beautiful. When folks encounter you, right, you should be like a star in the dark sky. You should stand out and be that kind of difference. And it should be that kind of difference that's a reflection of God's glory. It's the brightest thing in the night sky. 747, no. The moon, right? The moon throws off light of its own? No. It reflects the light of the sun. Um, we're to reflect God's light to a world that is in the dark. Um, a world that sometimes is desperate for a little bit of light. Uh, by the way, our video, this is why we do Halloween parties. It seems silly, but this is God's love demonstrated in a concrete way to our community, right? Um, God calls us to live this way, this kind of difference that folks see us and they say, that's something special, I want a piece of that. It's actually how I started going to church. I started meeting folks at a church and they were friendlier than anybody I ever met. And I said, I want some of that. I don't even care what it is. That's how I became a Christian. I, I kept showing up until I figured out who Jesus was. And from the moment I became a Christian, I said, all I want to do is serve God because I want to be this kind of shining light. I want that. Um, and Paul is saying, be these people. Stand out. Don't be like everyone else. Holding fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor, nor toil in vain. Paul is saying, listen, hold fast to this. Live it. Learn it. or Learn it, live it, love it, right? This needs to be who you are. On the day that I stand before God, you people <laughs> are what I'm bringing with me. Right? And I want to know that I didn't waste my time running to get there. I didn't waste my time putting the effort in. Um, and these people love Paul, so this is a pretty significant, um, and this is probably going to be the last verse we're going to do. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to cut us in half here. Uh, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now I'm going to pause here. Paul is comparing his life to a drink offering, meaning God is dumping this guy's days and his life out to bring himself glory, right? Um, we see drink offering as a reference to like, like literally giving up everything over and over again in the Bible. It's not an unusual phrase. And so Paul says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Um, here's the other thing. The drink offering was always a secondary sacrifice. You would offer a lamb, and then you pour the drink, out or a drink offering out over it. So what's he saying? He's saying your faith and your service, what you people are doing, right, is the big thing. What I'm doing 
is just secondary to what you're doing, right? Because Paul always considered himself to be less than everyone else. He's reflecting the attitude of Christ. And he's saying, I'm going to live my life. You people, you people do great things, and my life will just be like like an exclamation park next, next to it. You're the big statement for Jesus. Um, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I can be secondary, you can be primary, and I'm going to be happy as can be that you're bringing glory to God and that your lives are this bright, shining light in the night sky. I'm going to be happy about it. And I'll pour myself out for it any day. And you know what? I want you to be happy that I'm doing the same thing and have joy that God is being glorified because I'm doing it and you're a part of it. Um, The fundamental idea here, right? First off, live it out. Figure out how you're different. Because if you can stand in a crowd of people and nobody knows that you're different, are you carrying a card? Get a Jeff Reese. Or are you different? People know it. Do they see Jesus in you? And the second half of that is be proud that the folks around you pick up their own light because of your own life. Find joy in it. Ultimately, the joy is in God is glorified. Um, my challenge to you this week is to look at yourself. Am I doing this? Is this how I'm living? Am I bringing glory to God? Am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling? Um, we're going to have an extra sermon in the series now because I'm going to cut us about halfway across. I wasn't sure I wanted to do the second half anyway. Um, so we're going to close in prayer and we're going to do a final song. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would um, be with us this week and help us to uh, help us to serve you and help us to uh, bring you glory in everything that we do. In Christ's name, amen. Or do we have a last song? We don't. We're going <laughs> to conclude with a blessing and full awareness that Eric has no idea what's going on. Um, so arise and receive God's blessing. May you go forth from this place. May you walk out these doors. May you head out into the snow. And may you work out what God is doing for you in your everyday life. May you do it in a way that reflects like awareness of God's glory. And may you be a bright, shining light to those you encounter. In Christ's name, amen.